Um, for me, it's like being able to read is such an inspiration because, you know, we know that there are people who can't, but then also making sure that there are enough people who look like us who are represented. And that's part of why we want to write far and wide. We want, you know, no matter what age somebody is, if you're a little kid and you want to read a book, you can find someone who looks like you if you're an older person or whatever the case. Haitian Art Podcast Series is a podcast that will engage Haitian and Caribbean artists in a dialogue on the critique on art forms that reflect the culture and heritage of the Caribbean. I am your host, the Executive Director of the Haitian Heritage Museum in Miami, Florida. You know, it got started during the COVID-19 because, again, we were all home. I guess we're still home. We're opening up slowly but surely. And we felt like it was important to actually do something for our artists because we are celebrating Haitian Heritage Month and next month we're going to do Caribbean Heritage Month as well. And we wanted to highlight different artists just to give them a platform while everybody was home because the Haitian community has such great talent and we wanted to allow people to get to know our community and learn things that they did not know on how to get started in the industry and little things that people think they might know. They see the story, but they don't know. They see the glory, but they don't know the story behind getting to the next level. So we're really excited about that. So again, this is something that we've never done before. We have two guests at the same time and they're sisters, which is great. So really excited about that. And we're going to introduce Maika Moulet. I said that right. She's a native Miami and a daughter of Haitian immigrants. She earned her bachelor's degree in marketing from Florida State University and an MBA from University of Miami when she's not using her digital skills to help nonprofits and major organizations tell their story online, she's writing stories of her own. She also blogs on Daily Element, a lifestyle website featuring everything from diverse, inspirational women to career guidance. She is the oldest of four sisters and loves young adult fantasy, fierce, Female lead and laughing. Give it up a cyber welcome for Maika Moulet. Can you hear us? Harvey? Yeah. Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes. 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 Hi, okay. Perfect. Awesome. So now we're going to introduce the next guest. The other sister, Maritza Moulet, is a graduate from the University of Miami with a bachelor's in women's studies at the University of Southern California with a master's in journalism. She worked in various capacities at NBC News, CNN, USA Today, also to name a few. And she's an admirer of Michelle Obama. Maritza is a perpetual student and blogs daily also at the Daily Element as well. Her favorite song is September by Earth, Wind, and Fire. So give it up for Maritza. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you so much for coming online um, welcoming you guys to Haitian Art Podcast. I'm super excited, super stoked to have you both on. And um, I, don't, I can't really tell who's older, who's younger, but I mean, even though your bio stated that you're the, but you guys look so beautiful and young and lovely. And I guess it's the writing that gets you guys, you know, looking like so lovely like that. Okay, so we're going to get started. And how we're going to do it, it's going to be a conversation. If I say something, um, Maritza, you, know, you want to jump in, jump in. If I say something, Maika, you want to jump in, jump in. But the question is going to be posed to both of you guys. Okay? So we're going to get started. So the first question is, so what inspired you guys to write? Where does your inspiration come from? I, well, I would say partly is that we 
read a ton growing up. Like our parents were very strict Haitian parents. And they were like, during the week, we could not watch TV. Like the only thing that we were allowed to watch was Wheel of Fortune, Jeopardy, and the news. That was it. We needed a way to entertain ourselves. And that was reading. So when you read enough, sometimes you might feel a little cocky and you're like, oh, I think I could write. <laughs> but it's like actually sitting down is, um, uh, you know, that's, big part of the battle but I think reading allows you to get more inspiration like as a writer if you don't read then you are not exposing yourself to different points of view different voices um different uh tones like they're, they're just different things that you're not allowing yourself to and you need to read far and wide you know like you can read fantasy but try reading a romance maybe read a mystery um read a non-fiction book like you you just need to expose yourself to as much as you can because when you it comes time for you to write then you are creating fully fleshed out characters so i can say your inspiration comes from reading reading. other materials that's what you're saying basically yes see reading other material and finding that there were not enough people (laughs) that's a big part who didn't look like me or my sister or black girls or black people like a lot of the times like when we were growing up and we read all of those amazing books there were a ton of characters that we identified with, even though they weren't necessarily black or Haitian or whatever. But at the same time, I could just imagine the impact it would have had on me as a young reader, all those books that I was being not forced to read, but had to read out of necessity for entertainment. If I had come across a few of the, of the main characters who are black or Haitian or whatever, like that would have really um, stuck with me. And maybe, you know, we could have started writing sooner if we were like, oh, well, you can have a Black girl as the main character of the story, and you can write a book that isn't only centered on our pain, or you can write, you know what I mean, just different things. So um, for me, it's like being able to read is such an inspiration because, you know, we know that there are people who can't, but then also making sure that there are enough people who look like us who are represented, and that's part of why we want to write far and wide. We want, you know, no matter what age somebody is, if you're a little kid and you want to read a book, you can find someone who looks like you if you're an older person, whatever the case. So yeah. my inspiration comes from, I guess, the memory of myself as a child. I would have loved to have read more books about girls who look like me, who thought like me. Um, and then also something that many people remember and has stayed with me as well is um, there's this literary scholar named Dr. Rudine Sims Bishop who talks about how books are um, mirrors and, and glass uh, mirrors, sliding glass doors. um, And what she basically says is that um, books can be a mirror for children who want to look up and see a reflection of themselves in the media that they consume but it can also be uh, a walkway for people who might not have the same experience to get a better look into another person's life to be able to um, develop more empathy for people who can be different from them in a way, a range of different ways. Um, and I think that's incredibly important. Even when um, we went on our book tour, when the book came out, we were able to go to different schools throughout the country and we spoke to a ton of different students. So like, and the experiences of um, being at like Edison in Miami and talking to kids there who got um, the different like Haitian proverbs that we were saying or making jokes with us in Creole was an amazing experience. But then also going to Houston and 
talking to a school that was largely Mexican-American students and then being able to share the same types of proverbs and sayings that their family says to them in Spanish was also an amazing experience. And then going to Denver and talking to a room full, like a, an auditorium full of students who were mostly white, who also had different names or were very hungry to learn more about a culture that they might not have known the most about. Like everyone, I mean, the beauty of writing for children is that they are so malleable. They're open to learning and exploring new things. And um, they're still developing into themselves. They are themselves, but becoming more themselves. So um, being able to write for them and knowing that that is such a privilege and uh, like something that you shouldn't take lightly is in, is in, is an inspiration in itself. Tell us, what are you reading now? And who is either your favorite writer, author? A book that I just finished that I really loved was Sadie by Courtney Summers, I believe. Mm -hmm. It is about a girl who, and I read, or yeah, I listened to it on audiobook because uh, a part of a cool thing that the book does is that it has a traditional narrative, but then also uh, transcripts of a podcast. Um, and the podcast was so well produced. And then the, uh, the, the, I don't know, the, the voice artist or the voice actor for uh -huh. was so good. It's about a girl who basically goes out on the road to avenge the death of her younger sister. Um, mm -hmm. and there is a podcast journalist who is following her trail to find out where she ends up because Sadie is missing herself. And it was just really I mean, I'm still thinking about that book and I finished it like a week ago. And um, a book that I read a while back, but I absolutely, absolutely adore is um, The Field Guide to the North American Teenager yes. by Ben Philippe. He is Haitian okay. Canadian yeah. and he is so funny online. But then in this book, it's like him, but it a story. <laughs> but as and, a young adult. And it, it's... <laughs> He's so funny. It's about it. He projected himself into the book. That's great. Yeah. I mean, you really see him all over the main character, Norris. And he, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's this Canadian boy who gets, um, who moves to Austin, Texas, and basically has all these snarky thoughts and opinions about his new American classmates and colleagues. And it's so funny like you, we need more books like that about black boys about black girls who just have these really sarcastic hilarious thoughts yeah. and are living their lives like nothing terrible is happening it's yeah. so good yeah that's really funny because you know he's a Haitian Canadian I didn't read the book but I read about him when I was looking for like who else is in the space that is that is Haitian and he came up when did you guys get started working as an artist professionally Love Elaine. Yay! It was published September 3rd of last year. So I would say professionally, like that was the official date that it was out into the, into the world. So you're saying last year in September, your book came out and that's when you, you would say you were professionally writing. That's when you kind of got your first paycheck. Well, that's when our book was published, but the publishing journey is pretty long. We're to could tell you about it. Yeah. Um, yes. So yeah, tell us about the publishing journey. I, yes. So tell me, I guess, tell us how it starts because a lot of people, either you can do self-publishing or you can do um, conventional publishing. So if you know a little bit about both areas, tell us both. So again, so people can kind of understand how you get um, 
to be a published author, okay? And tell us the length of time and the time frame, and, and what do you submit? Just kind of walk us through that. So like you said, there are two ways that you can publish a book. We don't know much about the self-publishing journey, so I'm going to hold off on saying um, too much on that in case I'm giving incorrect information. But sure, uh, yeah. So, um, but essentially, you just uh, take it upon yourself to write your story and then use a platform like Amazon, for example, to publish that book and sell it that way. Um, and that's, that's on the self-publishing route. Yes. And then on the uh, traditional publishing route, you first write your book, which can take any number of days, weeks, months, years. Um, it really depends. For Mayika and I, we wrote our book over the course of several months when we just had time. And then we had a moment of like, I guess, inspiration where we sat down and wrote a lot for a weekend. It was the weekend when Hurricane Matthew was supposed to be coming to town and then it didn't come, but we didn't have any school or work or anything. So we sat down and wrote, wrote, wrote. And then the next thing that you would do is reach out to a literary agent mm -hmm. and you write a query letter, which is just a letter explaining what your story is about and a little bit about the author well. So we did that. And then you get um, letters of interest from literary agents, hopefully, um, that say, hey, I'd like to hear more. I'd like to read the full manuscript or partial part of the manuscript, um, something like that. And then after you send that to the literary agent, they read it and then they decide if they are hoping, if, if they want to offer representation to you. So in our case, um, we had a few offers. So we talked to, well, we spoke to each of the agents and then we decided amongst ourselves who we were vibing with the most, who we thought could um, take us where we wanted to go in our career. That's, um, I know that's probably standard, but you guys did really well. That was pretty fast. Why do you think it took such a shorter time? And then why you guys think that it, it had to go to auction because so many people bit on the actual... Um, manuscript itself so i think that our wait time pretty average based on the different authors that we were interacting with online and when i mean even when the announcement for the book was made when we were uh, able to say that we did have contract with this publisher that was a few months before we we're even so I don't even know if uh, Mika was counting that. So it seemed like a pretty uh, normal amount of time to wait. But I will say that um, diversity in traditional publishing has been a problem since the inception of traditional public publishing. But we have had uh, great strides that are being made in that realm because of amazing organizations like We Need Diversity. Latinx publishing, etc. There are different groups that are really making it uh, not just a priority, but their mission to make sure that people through all walks of life with completely different experiences get their stories told. For our book, Dear Haiti Love Elaine, it's about a 17-year-old girl named Elaine Bopalan. She gets sent to Haiti after a prank goes poorly. So essentially, it's like the threat that all Haitian parents have where they're like, 
So far, there's not my boy Haiti, and she actually, your boy Haiti. <laughs> so then while she's in Haiti, she ends up learning about uh, a family curse, and she sets out to try and break the curse. And in the process, she's also reestablishing a relationship with her mother, who is a very high-profile journalist who's laying low in Haiti after her own fiasco. So our book right now is a young adult contemporary novel uh, with, like, hints of magical realism. How many times have you edited the book before you um, fully submitted it to the agent and then you got, um, you know, got, um, got the deal? So we wrote the book and then we kind of, like, lightly read through it and we're like, this is great, fine, whatever, just send it out because we just got tired of looking at it. But then when we didn't get um, any offers, just lots of good feedback, we implemented the feedback because it was helpful. And many of the notes were things that we knew in the back of our heads, but were too lazy to actually do in the moment. So okay. we did that and did a big revision and added the additional things that we wanted to do. But at the same time, like just as a creative person, you have to be firm in your identity because mm -hmm. um, when we did get lots of feedback, some of the notes that we got, we um, agreed with and thought was totally spot on. But something like, but some of the notes weren't right, like, or right for okay. us. Um, we had a couple agents tell us like, oh, well, this story would be even better if it was very straight contemporary and you took away part of the magical, like the magical realism aspect of the story. But we knew mm -hmm. that we wanted to really incorporate that part of the story, especially as Haitians, Haitian Americans, that idea of the mystical is very firmly embedded in our identities and cultures. Mm -hmm. and we wanted to be true to that. And that's why we wrote um, that part of the story. So we decided to keep that knowing that, that agent was going to be a no go from that. But um, we did those edits. Then we went out and we um, sent out the query letters again and we got offers of representation from that. And then um, part of the reason why we decided to go with our agent is because of the notes that she suggested um, because we really knew that was going to further improve the story. So we did a round or two of edits with her after we signed with her, and then she went out on edits. And then when you um, actually get the contract and are with a publisher, you do edits with the editor. Lots you of might editing. do like <laughs> developmental edits that are part of the, the plot, further uh, edits to deepen the emotional stakes and uh, highs and lows of the different characters. And then there are line edits to make sure that each sentence, like down to the paragraph, well, page, paragraph, sentence level is the best that it could be for what you're trying to say. And then there are copy edits. And then that's to make sure that the grammar and all that stuff is right. Are you guys part of any type of literary organization um, professional organization and tell me why and has it been beneficial to you and were you guys part of these organizations prior to your writing um submission there are a lot of literary organizations out there and depending on what it is that you're seeking you might find one that you align with um there's one called scbwi it's for like children's book authors and illustrators and that is a, a good organization for some folks 
Um, but for us, Las Musas is really the one that we are the most, uh, I would say, active in. Um, but before we joined the publishing world, we, we, we would consider ourselves like outsiders. We didn't know anything about, you know, like the politics of publishing and all of that. Um, we kind of had our, dipped our toe into it because Maritza found that uh, contest online, which was looking for diverse voices. And from there, you know, it opens up this whole world. We talked about your writing process. We talked a little bit about your book. What is the one thing that you wish you knew before getting published? I would say something that I wish I knew before publishing is that it's so much more than writing. Um, the fun part for me is sitting down and outlining and writing and typing and editing and doing all of that. But before the book comes out, after the book comes out, there's so much like marketing and publicity that goes in publicity that goes into it that hopefully your publisher is doing for you, that you are doing on behalf of yourself, right. that you're really trying to make sure that your work is going to be read by people after you have put in all of these, uh, all this blood, sweat, and tears. Um, and it's really yes. important. So, I mean, uh, I would say this for any author, writer, um, while you are writing and typing, that's the most important part. Like, if you have a good story, you'll be fine. But it definitely helps to be able to speak about the work that you're doing, the process of creating that art um, and everything that goes into it. So I guess that just requires being really cognizant and um, mindful of what you're doing so that you can call back to those moments when you are doing things like this, yeah. where someone asked you a really interesting question of what you wish yeah. you would have known beforehand. No, that's great. I don't know if you want to chime in, Maika. Um, I, I think that's really important because I, I would like to hear both of you guys um, um, I, idea on how or what you did or what you thought you knew or what you wish you knew before you jumped in. Maika? I think one thing is that it takes a long time. Like that editing process, if you don't know, you're just like, we're doing another round of edits, another round of edits, another round of edits. <laughs> we'll be working on it with our family and our dad will be like, okay, so you're done now. And we're like, no, we have like two more rounds if we're lucky. And then, you know, sometimes you get thrown with curveballs like, okay, actually, no, we have to make another edit. It's just, there's a lot of editing that goes into yes. creating a book, but I think it allows you to refine your story. And if you are writing because you think that it's going to make you rich, you're mm -hmm. going to burn out real quick, <laughs> but yes. you have to love the, the, maybe not the act of writing because it is painful, but you have to love the writing process. You have to yes. be okay with looking at that same book for a year plus, no matter what's happening around you, you know, life is still going on around you. People are having, well, maybe not now because of coronavirus, but people are having parties, you know, <laughs> living their lives. You have work if you have a day job like we do or other things like there are other things happening around you, but you need to be able to say like, okay, for the next, you know, year and a half, at least we're going to be plugged in on this book, working on every edit, championing this book, talking about it with whoever has ears. Like um, it's just, it's a very uh, uh, intensive process. And then you essentially, if you're lucky enough, you'll get to repeat it again and again and again. But um, just knowing that it is a very, very extensive process. And I totally agree with Maritza that if you know like how much marketing goes into it, like you need a website, you know, we're, yeah. we're creating um, 
an email newsletter, um, all of these different things. Your social media needs to be on point. You know, like when you're mm-hmm. linking to things, you have to know like where links work and where they don't work and yeah. uh, all of these different things, how you can create engaging content. Like it's not, especially when you're writing young adult, it's not just about the story that you're writing. And, you know, the publisher wants to have people who are engaging because you have young people who are reading your story and they will find you on social and they will be like, let me see what they're up to. And are they fun? Are they cool? And they just want to know like the behind the scenes of the person who wrote this book that they love. So there's a lot. How do you guys do your writing um, methodology? You know, if you're not working on a, a project, which I would like to know if you guys are, if there's another project coming on, but how do you guys do your writing projects? How do you write every day? Or if you don't write every day, once a week, once a month, what, three hours a day, one hour a day, how do you guys do that? For us, like our first book, Dear Haiti, Love Elaine, it's like before agent and after agent with a contract, right? So before right. agent, we're like, we're going to take our time, blah, blah, blah. And then we ended up getting fire after Marita entered us in that Twitter contest. And we're like, oh, crap, we got to get this done. So we right. very quickly finished it. But that was a very leisurely pace in which to write. But... After you get an agent and your agent gets you a contract with your publisher, there are deadlines. They're like, okay, great. We need you to have a book that has 80,000 however many words by this date. You sign on the dotted line and you get paid. And after that point, you're like, oh, this needs to be done. (laughs) So it's like, whether it takes you, like Maritza said, you know, we're going to work on this consistently every day or we're going to put everything like on the weekend. It doesn't matter how you figure it out. But as long as you're meeting your contract deadline, you need to meet that, you know, there's nothing. It's kind of like when you're in school, if you know your homework assignment is due on X date, even though people don't like to think of writing as homework, but if you know that it needs to, to get done on X date, you get it done. Um, of course there are caveats or like just different moments where you might have to ask for an extension or, you know, life happens and, um, you know, just yeah. different things that could go on that can impact you in the way you turn around the story or when you turn around the story then, you know, it might get a little extension, but working under deadline works really well. So one of the things that we've talked about before is just like, if you don't have an agent and you don't have, um, you know, a publisher yet or that kind of thing, create deadlines for yourself. Be like, this is a deadline that I want so that I can hold myself accountable. And if you have to be the person who, you know, shares it on social media and is like, or tells close friends and family, like, hey, I am giving myself a deadline of X date to finish this book. I need you to hold me accountable. And they also have different um, uh, contests on, online, which is another great way to get uh, involved, uh, NaNoWriMo, um, where you essentially, uh, um, it's called NaNoWriMo, and you basically plot out so that you can write uh, an entire book in a month. And then you'll have a lot of people who are writing their book um, at the same time, and they'll use hashtag NaNoWriMo. Um, it's like national, I don't remember what it stands for, so I'm not going to even try. But um, And then people, uh, they use that hashtag, and then you're kind of able to commiserate with one another. And sometimes people get really bogged down on like the word count. Like, oh my gosh, I wanted to write 2,000 words today, and I only wrote five. I'm a terrible writer. It's like, don't beat yourself up. Like, things are going to happen. But, you know, yeah. just try to keep yourself accountable however you can. Let's talk about your new project. If you can tell me a little bit, I know we, you don't want to spoil it for when it comes out, but like, um, are you sticking to the same genre? Is it still young adult? Is it still fantasy? How is it? What is it? Is it still the topic Haiti? 
And I guess once you signed your publishing deal, was it a one publishing deal, one book publishing deal, or two deal, or whatever? Just kind of let us know. Yeah, so our particular contract was a one book deal with an option. So um, the next book that one would write in that same age category and genre, our publisher would have had first look at it. So they would have first right of refusal, but they didn't refuse it, yay. So um, <laughs> they bought that book as well. Our book is set in um, you know contemporary world, modern day, but those flashbacks really allow for people to see how it is used in the, in the past. And the mm -hmm. Negro Motorist Green Book is the book that um, African-Americans, other Black Americans, um, a, a lot of marginalized people use to be able to safely travel across the United States during segregation, and then how it's tied into today. Um, and there's also a twist to the story, uh, which readers won't expect. And um, we are really excited for the word to be out there about this. We're, again, we haven't announced anything yet, so we're kind of like uh, waiting, and it'll be in the next few weeks or so. But this book took a lot of research, um, a lot of time, and we just were ready and excited to share it with the world. But yeah. Any last words that you guys want to share? Thank you so much for inviting us to have this conversation with you. It was really fun. It allowed us to sit and kind of think about where we are in our author journey, where we want to go, where we've been. And that has been a wonderful experience. And I mean, just the work that you do with the museum is amazing on its own. It's so important. So yes. thank you. Yes, thank you. Thank and you. the last thing I would add is, um, you can follow us on social media. You can head to our website, which is maikaandmaritza.com. And hopefully you'll subscribe to our newsletter. So then you can be one of the first people to hear about our second book. When we can announce everything far and wide. <laughs> Yay! I'm excited. I'm going to register right now. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. You guys wish this conversation would continue. I, I'm like super loving it. We're like 15 minutes over and it's like, that's never happened before. But I guess I have an excuse. We had two of you guys on. Yeah. And again, um, you guys are so talented and it was such a pleasure Thank having this Haitian Art Podcast series, talking to you two lovely young women that are doing great things, not only for the Haitian community, but people of color. And I would say in general for the literary world, you know, I don't want to type past you, but I think, you know, you guys keep on doing what you're doing. Bon chance, chapeau bas. Thanks for listening to this episode of HAPS, Haitian Art Podcast Series. Please don't forget to follow us at the HaitianHeritageMuseum.org and follow us on all of our social media handles. And also please subscribe to the podcast.